greetings in the name of Jesus. We said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I have been encouraged today. It's a song theory that's read. I don't remember ever seeing it before, but it comes right out of the scripture text, and I can't wait to get to that of Psalm 84, uh, where the psalmist, the songwriter, was saying, I am just longing. In fact, I'm longing to the point of being delirious. Well, now delirious sounds like you're out of your head. Well, he said, I'm fainting. Fainting and delirium are pretty close, aren't they? Kind of out of touch. I'm just so desiring to get into God's house. Psalm 84 is one of a number of songs written by the sons of Korah. Korah. Probably says that at the top of your, your psalm. Now, Korah was one of the Levites, and all the Levites were in charge of God's tabernacle in the Old Testament. Moses was a Levite. Aaron was a Levite. We know Korah probably because he was part of a big rebellion, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, that rose up against Moses and Aaron, his cousins coming along, and uh, God showed himself in an unbelievable miracle. You children may remember the earth split open, and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all their household, 250 men, plus, I guess, some women and children, down they went. But before this happened, Moses had warned the people, get away, get away. And so apparently Korah's sons, this is in Numbers um, number 16, I believe, is where, yes, where the earth split open. But then, later, I think Moses was talking about the event, Numbers 26, 11. Wonderful little verse. Didn't even know it was in the Bible until this week when I was studying. Numbers 26, 11 says, The children of Korah died not. So apparently, some of the children, maybe they were grown people, they took the wine, they moved away uh, from the rebels, and they were saved. And they went on to continue to serve uh, the, the children of Korah, apparently, especially worked in, uh, in the. Uh, the maintenance, the grounds, and taking care of the tabernacle. But some of them, especially in the time of David, and maybe even later, were amazing musicians. So we have at least 11 psalms that they wrote. They're in uh, the 40s and the 80s. So Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. It kind of goes along with Psalm 84. I'm just longing to get to God, like a deer that's so thirsty. Just almost out of its mind trying to get to water. And Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The sons of Korah wrote that. Maybe they were remembering all the catastrophes of the past. And they were trusting God. And Psalm 46 also says this wonderful verse, and it's repeated other places, to be still and know that I am God. So I'm so glad for the children of Korah and the songs that they wrote. I'm so glad people are writing songs today. We have several people here in our midst who are songwriters, so I'm not sure what to take home uh, 
for each person is here, the Holy Spirit will hopefully guide in the message. But maybe for you songwriters, keep writing words and music. Now at the top of uh, your Bible, it also may say, to the director of music or to the chief musician, different versions say different things. And there's also, a, in the New King James Version, says, um, on an instrument of death or set to a particular Gittite tune, or according to the Gittite, different versions have these, these, these little things on the top. So the, the instrument of death may have been a, a um, eight-string guitar-like instrument. So this, this song goes very well with guitar. Or it may have been a particular tune. It's kind of un, unclear, but it's a song. It has 12 verses, although I've divided it into kind of three verses. Verses 1 through 4 is the first section. And that's where we really hear this longing for God's house. Actually, I titled this message, Longing for God's House. And as we go through that section, a question we could ask is, where is God's house today? Is this in God's house? Where is God's house today? You'll see in this verse first, there's swallows and sparrows, and they're building nests up in God's house. So it's thought that this probably was written after Solomon's temple was built, because before that there was tents, and I guess birds could build nests up in these, but more likely in these big buildings. We, we saw some big, amazing buildings last summer in Spain, and uh, so we saw a little cats running around. Uh, we saw birds flying. So the writer is jealous, and even the birds get to be closer to God. He, he was making a pilgrimage toward God's house in this song. And that's the second verse, which is verses 5 through 8. You'll notice he's making a pilgrimage. He's traveling to Zion, to the temple. And then the uh, last verse, or the last 9 through 12, is kind of a summary. He talks again about God's house, and he just wants to be there. Even if he's at the door, he'd rather be a gatekeeper at God's house than be anywhere else. You'll notice in each of these three sections, there's a blessing. And you could also use the word happy. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Kind of like a prayer to God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. The second section, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And in the third section, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So, I have three questions written here. First is, where is God's house today? That's kind of in the first section. And then the second section, there's a very interesting thing. I'm not sure it's mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's called the Valley of Baca. And it's a dry valley. Uh, a literal place accounted along the way to Jerusalem where there wasn't water. It's also called the Valley of Weeping, some of the translations. And so my question here is, how can a traveler make a spring in a dry valley? How can a traveler make a spring in a dry valley? And in the last section I wrote, how, uh, what blessings can the re- believer rejoice in? The last section has a number of things that God is 
for us. Kind of a uh, counter-blessings. I was thinking of that song. Counter-blessings, naming them one by one. All right, if you have Psalm 84 and you care to stand, let's read this together. <clears throat> Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yet even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Still. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Steal it. O God, behold our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day of your court is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for your kindness. We thank you for this song. And we pray that you will open our minds, our hearts, and our lives as we meditate on it. Today, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the word tabernacle is probably not one that you used in the last week. Or even temple. But basically, if you look up this word in the first verse... How lovely is your tabernacle? It means dwelling place. So, if we came to your house, and I think I've been at most, we've been at most of your houses, wonderful houses, we'll say. Like your house. That's another way to uh, translate this in today's language. They would say, God, I hate your house. And see, more than like, he loved it. He wanted to be there so badly. His mind, his heart, his body was crying out for God. And he was jealous of these birds that they got to be there all the time. Understand Spurgeon, who said this is the sweetest of all the Psalms, uh, one time preached a whole sermon on the sparrows and the swallows. And uh, I read some of this sermon. His sermons are recorded and they're online, written down. And he talked about how Christians, just like the song that Isaac Watts wrote that we sang, Christians should want to fellowship with other Christians. And I think that was at least part of what he was uh, teaching. And that's challenging to do because as the second verse of, of uh, Derek's song was talking about all the 
saints above praising God. That's wonderful. There's a little Irish line that goes something like, to worship God with saints above, oh, that would be glory. But to worship Him with saints below, now that's a different story. You've probably heard that before. And we struggle, don't we? We struggle with the humanness of other Christians. And they struggle with the humanness uh, of us. But the writer of this song wasn't distracted by the other people. And he was determined he was going to worship God. He was going to get to where God was. So my first question on this section is, where is God's house today? There's a lot in the Bible about where God lives. Children have asked that question. And parents often say, God lives in heaven. That's a great answer. In fact, there's a bunch of verses in the Bible we can look at in the Psalms that say the Lord is exalted above the heavens. The Lord is exalted above the earth. God is so big that there's no place big enough that we can imagine that can hold Him. He's just beyond our imagination. Yes, He's in heaven. He's above the heavens. And He's outside of time and eternity. Before there were galaxies and, and things we can look at, the moon, the stars, the earth around us, there was God. God is so big. And even in the Old Testament, God started appearing at different places. And one of the places he appeared was in the tabernacle in a place called the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go there only once a year and only after he made special sacrifices to meet with God. But when Jesus died, when he said, it is finished on the cross, what happened in the temple? The Gospels say this amazing thing happened. This thick curtain, which was almost like a wall, I guess, was tore from top to bottom, opening the way to God's presence. And so even though God is so big, He lives above the heavens, above the earth. He's everywhere present. The ability that human beings have, the ordinary human beings like us, is now open into His very presence through what Jesus did on the cross and in His resurrection. So I, I wrote a number of things from the Bible about where is God's dwelling place. It's exalted above the heavens. It was in the tabernacle at the Holy of Holies. In Colossians 2.9, this is number 3, uh, where God is. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So of all the people who ever lived on earth, if you met Jesus, you were in the presence of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God revealed the three persons, Jesus. He showed us God. Aren't you glad for Jesus today? Wow. Now, yesterday, at our house at the end of Dove Drive, I asked the question, where does God live today? Guess what man said? And she hadn't seen his notes or heard all this background. She said, he lives in my heart. That's a testimony. It's a good testimony for tonight. You're thinking, as I've been thinking, testimony should I bring tonight? Jesus lives in my heart. That's a good testimony. And I was telling her about Psalm 84 and how the psalmist wanted to be close to God. And so my answer, if I remember the words, was something like, well, then I want to be close to you. 
If God lives in you, I want to be close to you. And that's a beautiful thing when Christians love God, love each other, and want to be close to each other. It's a beautiful thing. It's how God designed it. It's how God designed it. He wants us. He wants to live in our hearts, and He wants us to be close together. So, when I asked the question earlier, is God in this temple? Yes, He is. He's everywhere. Just look to your left and look to your right. You're looking at royalty. Hallelujah. Some verses from Corinthians that go with this point of God living in our heart. First Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. First Corinthians 3.16 And this is repeated many places in the New Testament. Second Corinthians 6.16 What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then my the footnote on the NIV Bible gives three verses from the Old Testament. You know when the New Testament says, as it is written, it's really interesting to go back in the Old Testament and try to find, where was that written? Well, this particular thing, the NIV translators who were quite the Bible scholars, they came up with Leviticus 26, Jeremiah 32, and Ezekiel 37. I looked them all up and they all kind of say, the same thing that God will live right among his people. Ezekiel 37 27 said, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is here. Isn't that an encouraging thought? So, verse 1 and 2. He's longing to be in the temple in the house of God. Three and four, he's envying the birds. And then, actually, I think four ends with Sila, which means think about this. I'm sorry, I got myself confused. Verse three is envying the birds. And then four is the blessing. Remember, there's a special blessing in each section. So this section ends with the blessing. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. And the second section starts with the blessing. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And there's another part of the verse. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the person who wants to get to God. Those who are seeking God's face, God's presence. And I would like to add seeking the, the fellowship of other believers. My heart has been broken many times as I've heard people describe how they cannot find the church to fit into. Even in the last week, I met a man who told me he traveled to four states in the last few months looking for a church where there's a table that he can pull his chair up to, where he can fit in. And a few weeks ago, I met a man in the hospital who, at age 10, his father died. And he had a lot of difficult things happen in his life. And he started thinking, well, if God is really alive, why are these things happening? And so from age 10 to age 20, he moved into where he considered himself an atheist. He didn't believe there was a God at all. And he had a car wreck, and he was in a coma for six weeks. 
And during the coma, his father came and stood beside his bed. And he didn't believe there was a God in heaven or hell or that there was life after death. How could his father, he'd been dead for 10 years, come to him? So he woke up from the coma, remembering this clear vision of his father standing by his bed. And he started asking people, and he started going to church. Do you think that was really my dad? And people gave him different answers, and he went on a journey, and he came to faith in Christ over the next several years. And uh, he had his Bible there in the hospital room. We had some good fellowship, we prayed, but I was sitting to learn that he doesn't go to church. His wife goes to church, but he hasn't found a church. And this is more than 20 years he's been a believer now. And so it breaks my heart. And I just want to encourage myself and each of us as a group of believers to do what we can to reach out to others, to do what we can to welcome people into God's presence. That's not easy. And when you pray for us here Sunday mornings before we go into the jail, we appreciate it. Because the men and the women in the jail come from many different backgrounds. A lot of them aren't searched at all. And yet we're meeting together to study the Bible and to meet God. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, verse 5. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. I'm determined to get to God's presence. I'm determined to fellowship with other Christians because that's God's will. And now the question is, how can a traveler make a spring in a dry valley? As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Now, this valley could represent all kinds of things. Financial, dryness. I've been there. Probably some of you could testify that you've been there. Maybe health crisis. Some of you are there right now. Maybe listening on the phone line because you're sick at home. Losing health is a crisis. You fill in the blanks. I don't know what's the most difficult thing you're facing right now or have faced, but how can we, in the middle of difficulties, leave a spring for the people who are coming behind us? Is that possible? I just want to get through this. Right? Why should I build a gazebo here for other travelers? Why should we take time to drill a well here? The dam up the creek so there can be water for others. This is, this is a dry place. Let's get out of here. But the songwriter, he's writing this song, he's saying, the person who's going toward God in the strength of God, not in the strength of their knowledge, not in the strength of their money, not in the strength of their legs. This whole section is about strength in God. I went to one of my favorite verses in Jeremiah and the thing about strength. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 3.23, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the wealthy man in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises 
this whole section, verses 5 through 8, I put at the top, traveling with God's power. I don't have any amazing answers for this question of how to build a gazebo in, in a dry place or how to drill, make a well of a spring of water. But however it's done, it's certainly done in God's power. I did write four things down. I wrote count blessings. There's a tremendous testimony in counting blessings. Right now I'm remembering meeting a man who I think was in his early 60s and had pancreatic cancer. He visited our church in, in Alabama, where we were. This was years ago. And uh, he went through surgery and chemo, and we had a colostomy bag, and he went through a lot. But he just had a beautiful little devotion off the church. And afterwards, I talked to him at the back of the church for a little bit, and he was just so at peace. He said, yeah, I went through the chemo and the treatments, and, and uh, he to come back and says, and he's probably, I don't know if there's any benefit to more, so I'm just going to... I live as long as God wants me to, but I live such a good life. I've been able to travel all around the world and meet missionaries. I just have been so blessed. And he was just like counting these blessings as he was standing on the edge of dying, not hating himself. Counting blessings, that's the way to leave a spring for those behind. I wrote, uh, write it down, some of your journal. Write down answers to prayer. And then I wrote the word others. Sometimes in the middle of our difficult times, it's very hard to think of others, maybe impossible. But I think a way that we can leave a spring. The only way we leave a spring behind is maybe that we think about others. Well, you know what? Why don't we leave something here that will help somebody else who's coming along? Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Jerusalem and Zion in the temple. O oh Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob. Jacob thought he was a long way from God, didn't he? Jacob prayed different prayers. I think the one I think of most was the all-night prayer meeting with God. And he was wrestling with God. And he just was begging God for a blessing. <laughs> oh Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear. And at the end of that night, he looked around, I guess after the sun came up, and he said, I thought this was a God-forsaken place. I thought this was as far from God as I could be. But it's not. This is the house of God. And the Hebrew word for house of God is Bethel, house of God. Praise the Lord. Even the most God-forsaken places, these valleys that are so dry, can be turned into a blessing. And so, let's pray. Let's wrestle with God. Let's open our eyes to the fact that God is here. Now, the last step tonight titled Rejoicing in God's Provision. 
I also thought about counting blessings. How many things do you see in 9 through 12 of blessings that you've experienced from God this week? Oh God, behold our field and look upon the face of your anointed. Is that Jesus in verse 9? One of the wonderful things about understanding the Old Testament, Gary taught this to us a couple months ago, was looking for Jesus. Jesus is the Rosetta Stone, the translation way to understand the Old Testament. Oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointing. Is this a verse about Jesus? I think it may be. Jesus, anointed by God, our King. Savior. And then he goes back to talking about your house. For they in your house, your courts, which is another way of saying your house, your dwelling place, is better than a thousand. Even to be at the door would make me happy. I just want to get close to you, God, as close as I can get. For the Lord is a sun and shield. There's nothing like the sun on a cold morning, is there? To warm things up. And God is also a shield, a protector. Nothing like protection when we feel threatened. The Lord will give grace, and that word grace in the New Testament is such a big, amazing word. The God of all grace. Manifold grace. Meaning many colored grace. The Lord will give glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, if somebody would tell you, I saw in Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing would he hold from those who walk uprightly. And I'm a believer, and I've been asking God for this. And they need something. But God hasn't answered that. Does that mean this, this isn't true? Well, this particular verse, I don't know how you would answer that, but this particular verse, I think, has been misunderstood and misapplied. Because I think we often are interpreting this verse from our mind. This is good for me. When I was 16, I was sure that a Ford Mustang was good for me. My dad was sure it was not good for me. And uh, I think when I was 17, at the used car dealer, there was a mercury, a little mercury. looked really nice. It was used, and it was really almost within my budget. Not quite. If I would have borrowed a little from my dad, I could have got it. And uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it was basically like uh, a first cousin to the Ford Mustang. And I thought that would be good for me. But my dad kind of looked at it and said, I don't think that's the car. God is a loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus said in Luke, I think, 11, if you fathers, earthly fathers, sinful fathers, are able to give good things to your children, will not the Heavenly Father also give the Holy Spirit and good things to you, His children? We are the children of God. God knows what is good for us. And often we are so limited in knowing what's good for us. But this verse is true. No good will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
So we can ask in faith, believing, even as Jesus ended his prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done. A good way to answer a prayer. I mean, a good way to ask a prayer, especially uh, when it's not something we know for 100% it will be good for us. Now, we know love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit, they are certainly good for us. And it's right and good, and we can expect God to like to answer when we ask for those things. But these physical things, I uh, think, can get very confusing at times. A bigger house maybe isn't good for us. And I was, recently we went as a family to the Biltmore House in North Carolina, and it was tiring. It was beautiful, it was amazing. 178,000 square feet, the largest house in America, still is. It's not in the world, because there's somebody in India that built this skyscraper that's, like, I don't know, five times bigger if you do the square feet. Uh, 43 bathrooms, and this was back in 1895 when there really wasn't a lot of running water, but they saw the contraption they had. They had this chain or something they pulled, and the tank was up high, it was Anyway, 43 bathrooms. Imagine cleaning that many bathrooms, 35 bedrooms, 55 fireplaces. I love to build fires, but I couldn't imagine getting wood into 65 fireplaces. So sometimes a bigger house isn't the best thing for us. And yet a bigger house can be a blessing. So I'm not telling you not to pray about houses and money and cars. But I'm going to say the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus are so much richer than anything here on earth. Being in touch with God, being in God's presence, is Holy Spirit living in our hearts. What a blessing. Verse 12, we could spend a lot of time on the matter of faith. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. St. Patrick from the 5th century was so overcome, I guess, with this thought of Jesus living in him. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. And so St. Patrick wrote, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit up, Christ when I arise. We are so blessed to have Jesus. And it's my prayer that we all would grow in our faith and trust in Him. Blessed, happy is the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who trusts in God. Really doesn't matter then if we live or die, does it? Philippians 1, Paul's writing from prison. And he was believing that the prayers they were praying were going to get him out of prison. I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn this out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, 
Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Being in heaven is going to be far better than here on earth. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels the blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned to this week, my great Redeemer's throne, God's throne in our heart, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Jesus can do that. So I don't know if you're carrying the burden of guilt and sin this morning, or if you're in a dry place, or what the details of that dry place are, but Jesus knows. I just want to encourage you to set your heart on pilgrimage toward God, toward other people. Right now, the answers to prayers, count your blessings, build a gazebo, dig a well, leave some blessings for others coming behind, and keep trusting in Jesus. God bless you.